Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. And the Fanatic. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> and the Fanatic. you got to change that. PW's comment. new twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Um, check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on social media, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. But what else should we ask our listeners to do? Well, we should tell them that they should uh, listen. If you like us, let us know. Yeah, we need to know. Uh, drop us a line. Rate us on iTunes. Drop us a comment. Um, you know, hit us up on Twitter. Give um, us a piece of a, your mind. Give us some feedback, but uh, <laughs> but especially like us on iTunes, yes, so absolutely. we can get better ratings on there. So yeah, it's not like we're asking you for money. Yeah, yes, that's totally right. Free. Uh, just you know, please uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Okay, now this week on more to come. Retail and drama at the Comics Pro uh, Convention. Uh, we've also got the annual, PW's annual comics retail feature. Uh, there's still more drama coming out of IDW. Uh, uh yeah, we're gonna go to the movies with Marvel, uh, specifically the Black Panther and, um, Captain Marvel. And Victor Mignogna and Me Too Comics comes to anime. Alright, so. Drama uh, and retail. Well, you know, uh, so uh, it was Comics Pro last weekend, and uh, which is the end. It kicks off, as I always put it, it kicks off. Uh, the, the It's like the spring training for the comic book industry. It is. We've mm-hmm. been on the Hot Stove League for the last couple months with convention season over. Comics Pro is the first kind of industry meeting of the year. Mm. It's of, a, of retailers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, of the industry. Of the industry. Yes. I mean, is this? There's yes. publishers and yes. retailers. It's, yes, you know. it's a retail. But the focus is really on the retailing well, side, yes. But, but Calvin, yeah. it's a retail organization, but all so of the publishers. It's got to be publishers. There was about, you're right, of course. Uh, there's three dozen publishers yeah. went. So, and it, no, you're but, right. And the press is not allowed. And, um, so it's, you know, considered to be very confidential. It's going to just be a very, uh, you know, trust situation. And, uh, always, I mean, I've written about it quite a few times for Publishers Weekly and just, uh, usually very positive stories come out of it, but there was a lot of curiosity this time because this is the first time that DC would be addressing, uh, retailers mm-hmm. since they've had all their layoffs and, yeah. um, you know, I missed that last week's show, so I don't know if you guys talked about all the crazy rumors that were going on about, uh, DC, but, um, you know, there have been a lot of crazy Yeah, rumors. well, there's a lot of stuff circling around, the cutting the titles and, and all of that. Um, and we, we talked about a variety of things. I'd have to remind myself of what we talked right. about. <laughs> well, what we know as a fact is that, uh, DC has laid off four vice presidents, including the guy who mm. was running mad, uh, the head of their, um, you know, sales department, John Cunningham, and Mark Chiarello, their longtime art director. So obviously something's yes. going on there. Um, so what went down, as I understand it, um, is that DC did kick off their presentation and, uh, Dan DiDio did make a, uh, statement on a retailer forum, which has been pretty widely circulated, but, um, uh, selling points where, you know, there were some crazy rumors about how much they were going to cut the line. He said it's going to be 10 to 15% and it's already taken place. So... 
Uh, and indeed, if you look at how many titles they published in 2017 and 2018, it's about a 10 to 15 percent right. drop. Now, also, they're going to cut the number of collections they do, mm-hmm. and um, well, just to kind of make them stronger. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the other big news was that the Walmart line is been a big success for them. Interesting. Had very low returns, and they're going to expand it uh, in that. It's not going to be just at Walmart anymore. These 100-page giants are oh. going to be available in comic shops uh, and elsewhere at the same time. And the exclusive material, which, as you might recall, listeners and Calvin and Kate, created just a big ruckus when uh, it was announced. Yeah. And that is all going to be collected and available in comic shops. So, Very interesting. Are you shocked? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think they're well, going to collect and monetize this monetizable original material? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I, I wonder. Well, now, are they going to pull the original? Because it's only a small part of each it's collection. Like 12 it's 12 pages. Yeah, it, well, it, they're it, periodical. Yeah, right. So they're going to so, put... So, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying they're going to pull the, all of the original tool and, and create a book collection of the original material no, the original yeah, yeah. because okay, they're going well, to skip the reprints yeah. yeah yeah but um well all of it's already been reprinted yeah because that's like the, hush yeah. and, you know harley quinn yeah so yeah. so i i definitely want to hear your thoughts on these things because i think it's all pretty significant um you know the success of mass market but just to give you some of the drama and so uh you know i understand the comics pro is private and not for press, but I also understand that there was intense interest and scrutiny from the rest of the industry to know, because DC is one of the big two. They're a pillar. And, you know, if they were cutting their line drastically, this would affect a lot of stores, affect a lot of people. So everyone was very curious. So it just so happened that um, as Didio began speaking, one of the retailers in the room <laughs> started uh, immediately texting uh, a, a writer who runs a website that rhymes with the uh, you know, speeding fool. And, <laughs> and, um, the, I wish we could make that. That's the title most of this creative episode. euphemism I've heard yeah. in a long time. So, the go on. So anyway, so this article went up and it was like, uh, you know, Dan Dio tells retailers not to be negative about DC. And it was quite a long article. And while this article goes up, while Dan is speaking, and then, of course, somebody's looking at their phone and yells out, hey, this is already on Bleeding Cool. So there's somebody in the room who is, you know, texting. And I'm told by several people who are there that uh, fury, fury erupted in the room. Okay. Uh, you know, I heard this from one person. I don't know if it's true, but yeah. God damn, it ought to be. So, uh, you know, another piece of news is that Nancy Spears is the new head of Marvel sales department. She's mm. a long time. Uh-huh. I mean, not Marvel, DC. She's been at uh-huh. DC a long time. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things about her, but uh, Nancy's been there for seven years. And apparently when this happened, she yelled out, Dan, get off the stage. <laughs> you know, so it was an uproar. It was an uproar. Aye, I, aye, anyway, aye. So, so what was the... What was the upshot of this well, whole speech well, he made? Well, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm gonna circle back to the truth, but just to explain how fake news is actually a thing sometimes. So, the next morning, Dan got up, Didio got up, and put on the private retailer forum, you know, look, here's what I really said. Okay? And it was just pretty much what I just told you. Yeah. Like, we're expanding the line, and, of Walmart, and, um, and we're, uh, cutting in line, but uh, just what I just told you, okay? And of course, mm-hmm. this got leaked everywhere. I mean, I yeah. got it like 10 minutes later. But then some other retailer goes on 
Twitter and like everybody's mad at at speeding fool for spreading this information. <laughs> and then this retailer goes on and says, "Look, we're allowed to talk about it now and the Walmart line is ending. It's only 10%." So then everybody's that's not what Dan Dio said. He didn't say the Walmart line was ending. So then everyone, oh, if you look, you will see like, headlines on CBR and bleeding cool everywhere. It's like Walmart line ending. <laughs> now, I r- listeners you know, I, I, it was, you know, and I missed the last, the last, uh, episode. Calvin carried on. Thank you so much. You know, I, I broke my wrist. I had to have surgery. So yes. I was in no condition to chatter. Okay. And I've been unable to type. So I'm sitting at home, you know, with my wrist in a cast. I mean, I can type with one hand, but it's just so bad. I can't, it's not fun. And, um, this is so difficult. I make so many mistakes, but you know, watching all this unfold and I'm kind of like, Okay, Monday I'm going to I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to write about this. But it's just you know, it was very very stupid. Okay. <laughs> well, um stupid in comics. And then and then Dan DeVito <laughs> went on Facebook. That does happen. And then he put another like after this Walmart he says not ending. It's been a huge success. We're just expanding it to all of our markets. Yeah. Yes. So, so anyway, I mean, I didn't see the original story. I but I had heard that it was wildly exaggerated and and error filled and um and inappropriate considering that he hadn't even finished giving the speech. So especially given how many speeches end on a like bang note. Yeah. Well, and, you want to at least wait until the end to make sure you didn't miss something important. Yeah. And especially since he's, on the one hand, they're talking about the Walmart program, which actually, to my surprise, is doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I mean, it's interesting in the uh, in all the discussion around the direct market, the one thing we're constantly hearing is the number of titles about being overpublished. And for him to be actually doing, you know, DC mm-hmm. actually taking some small step toward addressing that issue. Right. I mean... Right. Well, I think it's really interesting. You yeah. know, I understand that uh, Nancy Spears has actually worked in mass market, so that could be possibly why she's part of. I mean, I'm just guessing. I, 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 I might have met her once, but and if I did, if she's the person I'm thinking of, I had a very positive view also. But you know, she's very well spoken of by everybody I know. Hmm. Um, Calvin, you should try to get an interview with her. Okay. No, never. But yeah. I'm sure she's the new John Cunningham, so I'm sure you'll be talking. Okay. To her. Then I will. Um, I'll. I'll make a note of it. But uh, what do you guys think, though, of of this 100 page giant? You know, like we've been talking about, we need a new format. We need a new format to reach, you know, the non comic yeah. shop market, and maybe this is a success. Well. Okay, I think it's a niche product. Okay, I think it's a perfectly good niche product, and I think it's filling its niche. I think what it does is it's for people who maybe don't have access to comic shops or maybe aren't dedicated enough to buy a trade of something they haven't read in a cheaper form, who see a superhero that they like from some TV or movie and say, oh, hey, and then buy it. Yeah. yeah. And that's legit. And then maybe they will buy higher ticket items later, or maybe they'll just continue to buy this. And either way, it's fine. Kids can buy it with the candy at Walmart. You know, go well, for it. I mean, I'm a little baffled by it. Um, um, but you could make the case, I suppose, is that it does a lot of the things. Um, it addresses a lot of the complaints about periodical comics we've mm-hmm. been hearing. Yeah. You, you, you're really getting a, a premium amount. Uh, for the dollar price that you're you're paying, um, it's you know it's obviously collecting some really quality material. There is enough of an original in there, I guess, to to tease 
um, comics fans who may be a little bit more for already familiar with the period. But but I think also, I mean, I kind of think in Walmart that maybe parents are buying this. Right. And they see it as a value. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it is the equivalent. It's absolutely the equivalent of those bundles of random old comics you see at a thrift store. Sure. Only right. they're shiny and new and the money goes to DC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're, you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're a, an adult who's a casual fan who shops at Walmart, you know, it's perfect. It's, yeah. It's just like a little bundle of comics to yeah. like enjoy, but and you don't care it's a reprint because you never read the original. Absolutely, yeah. and you know, I, I I agree with both of what both of you just said, especially Kate, like the idea mm-hmm. that this is how you just kind of go and, um, you know, dig into that pile because, but and and you know, we've been saying, I mean, people have been begging for some kind of entry level product. Yeah. For that's all ages, you know, or that's not for for little kids. I mean, certainly there's plenty of kids YA comics. But, you know, this could be older teens, teens young adult, um, you know, even mm-hmm. adults, even adults. This could be a good entry level product. Yeah. And it's time tested material that's being reprinted in them and by the top, the top folks on the, on the new material. So, you know, yep. this is not a bad thing. I think it's, yep. and now, you know, I'm really, I, I need to dig into what's going on at mass market because we've talked many times about failures, you know, I mm. mean, famously, famously, um, DC tried to go into Walmart a long time ago, yeah. like 20 years ago, and, uh, they had it all set up, and then, uh, the buyer actually looked at the comics and was like, oh, it's half-naked women and violence, and this is so bad, and then DC quickly went and started up a kid's line so that they could sell. Yeah. I mean, literally, they started up the kid's line so they could sell it in Walmart, yeah. and, uh, it was not a success, and there's- That's been, not a good reason to do a kid's no. line. And, give you, enough time to you do know, the- uh, Marvel has been dabbling in mass market. Uh, you know, I haven't heard success stories until yeah, now. Yeah. And Marvel, uh, I, I'm, I might have the story a little garbled, but you know, in the wake of Into the Spider-Verse, which is, you know, massively mm-hmm. wonderful and everybody who walks out of it is singing a happy song and wants to know more about these characters, I think, you know, they didn't do anything that tied in with them, except apparently they did do some of these little digesty things that reprinted yeah. like, Spider Gwen and so on, and they sent them to Target. Huh. So, um, yes, interesting. <clears throat> well, I mean, the, those mass market retailers, I'm I, I'm a little baffled by them. I mean, basically, they want the best sellers of the best sellers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want the most best selling thing, um, or a so bargain product, hmm? or a bargain product. That's one of the two things they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. So I I. I find it difficult to figure well but i think what you know what, how what, it affects the vast corpus of comics what publishing. you were saying is you know we've sat here uh, you know get to this in a minute but uh you know brian hibbs and mm-hmm, bob mm-hmm. wayne also delivered yes yeah says, actually philip sablick and these are all available mm-hmm. online um you know brian hibbs says how we are now watching our market crumble away even as comics culture takes over the mainstream and you know we all say why do billions of people go see Avengers and they, you know, and then 20,000 people buy the Avengers comic? Well, you know what? Maybe getting these products into mass market Walmart and Target is where these people are. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe so. I mean, certainly the, the, the success of these, um, you know, DC titles makes you think that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the 100-page giant is the perfect golden bullet but to extend the metaphor if you take 
the shotgun approach, and this is one of the many <laughs> it could items. Be a twenty-two, yeah. If you take the shot, you know, this is one of the many, many aspects you're putting out there. You know, you put out the the hundred-page giants. Maybe you put out a selected selection of maybe the most popular trades too into some mass markety places, and then I don't know. You, you do something else we haven't even thought of. Right. Well, you know, in his in his speech, Bob Wayne mm-hmm. said uh, something that I've said over and over and over again. Maybe I even said it to Bob, so I don't know who said it first. <laughs> but he said, you know, for years we've been trying to get into Tower Records and Blockbusters and video yeah. stores and toys, toys R Us, and we're the only ones still here. <laughs> that is okay. true. Yes. And then, you know, Brian also said something that I say all the time. So, uh, you know, my message, well, great minds. Great what was mind. the thing that he said? That you know, I'll have to look through his speech, but I was reading well, it. Oh, no, it was like Brian says, comics will be fine. Like, just about, you know, direct sales market's in trouble. I'm like, I've been saying that all along. Well, yeah, I mean, that that, that phrase is sort of traveling around the business quite a bit now. I mean, it's yeah. a little ominous, too, I think, if you're a retailer. But I'd, I'd like to jump in just for, uh, for sure. a second. And we, we, I do want to jump back to talk about uh, Brian Hibbs and, yes. and Bob Wayne. But certainly one of the th- uh, issues that came up uh, in the comics retailing feature done, uh, once again, yes. uh, by the fabulous uh, Shannon O'Leary. Uh, and we talked about seven uh, retailers this year. Uh, Cardiangelo from Earth 2. I thought uh, throughout the, the feature, he has some Really interesting comments, and one of them speaks to just what you were talking about. Um, are super? There's a nobody loves superhero comics, uh, superheroes more right now, mm-hmm. uh, but they're going to the movies. Mm-hmm. He is, himself is questioning um, how do they feel about superhero comics when they're going to the movies to get their superhero fix. Now he also says, "I'm not predicting the end of anything." But he's saying, "Retailers, we need to know where we exist in the food chain." Yeah. So I just wanted to tie up our feature with what some of the things that are being said well, at Comics Pro. Let's, let's not tie but we can it up. Let's, we can go back use, to that. Let's use one of those to explore a little more. Like why why do people like is there something that people who like the movies don't like about the comics? And I mean I'm going to say this is someone who really likes superhero comics and certainly has many examples that I personally enjoy. Um, but the fact of the matter is that there are you know as as spoken about in one of the other speeches at uh, Brian's speech at Comics Pro, at least from the transcript we've seen, um, is that the market's flooded. Yes. And not all the product is is very approachable even for someone who loves comics and just hasn't been following that particular title. Right. You know? And so it can be harder to find the gold when the market's flooded. Yeah, and you know, DC cutting the market, cutting their output 10 to 50%, you know what? Everybody's on board with that. Yeah, it's you know? not. It's like it's not actually not, a bad idea. Yeah, they're not cutting strong titles that are selling. You know, no, of course not. Yeah, yeah they're selling yeah. titles that are selling twelve thousand copies. Yeah. and you know what? That is not a bad idea. Yeah. and that you know, the if you go back, they have been canceling some collections. But you know what? Maybe not everything needs to have an omnibus. Yeah, My- and and also, I mean, I have a lot more sympathy for a book that is trying something new or a book that is the only book about this character, when you've got six Batman books, if two of those Batman books go, yes, you know, right. maybe maybe it's nature's way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nature's <laughs> just way. To, just to, to, to throw in an apples to oranges comparison, <clears throat> um, I mean, there is some talk in the book publishing industry about uh, being too much publishing, too many books. Um, I, I personally think um, that in for book publishing, 
that's a little nonsensical. I think comics publishing is a little different. Um, but I will tell you that uh, you do occasionally hear book publishers talking about cutting back titles. But it's generally been my experience is that once they cut back, it isn't long before they add more right, on. Right, right, right. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's not that I think that the comics market as a whole should be smaller. I just think that there are a lot of titles that are very, very yeah. similar to each other created by the same publisher. Right. And that it's, it's like adding more variety to the market is great, but adding more of the same where it's hard to tell them apart is not doing anyone any favors. Right. Absolutely. You know, Boom uh, announced they were making their line smaller. Dynamite announced they were making their line smaller. Other companies have been talking they've about, been, you mm-hmm. know, they've been tightening up. Now, Brian also points out something that he um, often mentions in his Tilting at Windmills column, which he runs at the beat. Uh, about the number of SKUs, uh, you know, individual yep. items that retailers must deal with and, you yes. know, the variant menace is still out there. Uh, he says something like 56% of the, of the SKUs that, yeah, 59% were variant covers. Yeah, we alternate. talked about this on the podcast yes. about the extreme right. number right. of uh, but I more mean, variants than variable not. Variable yeah, covers. More variants than not. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, he has some really, really powerful lines here. I'm interested that really my takeaway from talking to people who are at Comics Pro and reading reaction to it online isn't the sky is falling. It's more like what Carr was saying. It's just like, you know what? We're, this is the business is changing and we're going to change with it. Now, you know, yes. just, uh, before I came here, I was, I stopped by St. Mark's Comics, which uh-huh. uh, it actually closed on Sunday was its last mm-hmm. day, but, uh, you know, they were having a big reunion. Like people flew from all over the oh, country wow. yeah. who used to work there and, you know, they were throwing down a couple at, uh, Bull McCabe's. Um, <laughs> and it was a really strong brotherhood, but, you know, St. Mark's is another example. And, but a lot of people were talking about what a special, special, special place that was just in terms of its location. I agree that, yeah. it, I mean, this, that shop was very important to my, mm-hmm. um, comic book education Absolutely. in New York City. As I put it, uh, cause I put a, I, I stopped in there also and had to get a chance to talk mm-hmm. with Mitch a little bit, but it was very important and it turned me into a New York City comics right. fan. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's sad. It's very sad to see St. Mark's going, but as Mitch, uh, the owner, Cutler, Mitchell, uh, said himself, you know, yeah, is it the current market? Yes. Part of the comics market? Yes. But more, more, or as much, it's the current retail market. Yeah, he, he, he has some very pointed, uh, uh, issues with, uh, trying to run a small business in New York City. Yes. And on St. Yeah. Mark's Place. And on St. Mark's Place. Which in is particular. a declining retail mm-hmm. environment. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. You know, more to come, absolutely, mm-hmm. on all of this. Um, well, um, if we can, if we're going to segue to the comics retailer Let's feature, um, uh, we talked with, uh, this is an, an annual, uh, informal. Which, you know, Calvin, yes. it's almost as if it tied in with Comics Pro. Well, you know what? God. It is, a, it's almost a perfect segue. It is. Yes, yes. It is. It's almost like the timing of the article. Yeah. You well, should do it every year we about do. the same time as yeah. Comics Pro. As it turns out, we do. <laughs> so, uh, it worked, it, 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 it works out really well in that regard. But listen, we talked about seven stores. I'm just going to give you quickly, uh, some of them. We talked with, uh, you know, as I said before, Earth 2 in Sherman Oaks, California, Forbidden Planet here in New York, Phantom of the Attic Comics in Pittsburgh, Secret Headquarters in uh, Los Angeles, and we enter in Powell's uh, City of Books uh, in Portland. And, I mean, 
many of the things that we were previously talking about in Comics Book came out in the comments of the retailers because the way Shannon does it now, and we changed how we did it uh, last year, and it just seems to be working for now, where it's really, um, you know, a, an, an article organized under a variety of topics that concern right. retailers now. And we, we really go direct to the retailers to get comments from them about various aspects. Um, I mentioned um, the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought Carr had a number of thoughtful comments. Um, uh, that one is just one of them. Um, he also talks about some specifics about, um, the, what publishers don't do. Uh, that retailers get the same sort of hype that consumers get. Uh, and they undermine it, it, it. They don't give them the kind of information that they need uh, in a in a very competitive market now. So he says we can't use our historical sales data because we get the same kind of data that consumers get. He goes on and on. We keep we've heard about some things we've been hearing about. We heard about last year drop in foot traffic mm-hmm. that some retailers, you know, they they while graphic novels have actually propped up them are compensated for the decline in periodical sales graphic novels tend to also mean and book collections means you know people don't come in don't have to come in the stores right. as frequently it's not the wednesday warrior it's, it's absolutely it's a different warrior. kind a of consumer here. and they understand yeah. that and they just talk about how we have to come up with different strategies right um let's see there was talk of bright spots um, the books that were doing well over the holiday season and into the new year, Saga, Adventures, all of the ones we've talked about so often, Monstrous, uh, the Black Panther, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates series, On a Sunbeam came up, Sabrina. Um, um, uh, but the complaints, and, the, you know, uh, and I mentioned one of them, uh, were uh, focused on the, the growth of the weekly series. Mm-hmm. Uh, shipping issues with Diamond, um, not getting what you're ordering when you order, when you expect to get it. Um, uh, I mentioned uh, shipping costs were, uh, came up, uh, among one of the retailers. But what was really, I think, in a big, in a, in a macro sense, and one of the retailers really gave a smart, um, uh, he's saying, we're in a period of uncertainty and change, and it's very difficult to kind of, uh, figure it out. Uh, he, he, he talked about how the direct market, uh, how it transformed the business in the late seventies, early eighties. See, so it, it's, oh, who is this? This is, um, uh, sorry. You know, there was one of the it's, retailers who didn't get ID'd. It was a little annoying. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Wayne, Wayne Wise from Phantom, uh, Phantom of the Attic. Right. His thing was, I, we're in a period, um, that's really transformative right now, but it's not like when the direct market w- was introduced because that was that you knew what was happening you knew it was a seismic change and you knew business would change he says but now i don't know exactly what it is that's right. happening the advent of the direct market was one specific change that had wide ramification it's not easy to pin point one or even a dozen specific factors going into the current changes so much is happening that's right absolutely right but i mean that goes for everything you know yeah i mean yeah. I mean, we've entered the streaming area era, and for all kinds of call, all kinds of, you know, entertainment, and there's so many different sources, there's yeah. so many different yeah. ways, yeah. you know. Um, you know, I, I'm just going back to what Brian Hibbs wrote, actually, because yeah, sure. I think what he said in his speech is interesting. You know, he he had a ten point program for yes, Diamond, mm-hmm. but you know, I to Brian's credit, you know, it wasn't just like you know we need to have. 
more information. It wasn't like these broad platitudes. No, He's like super specific. Yes. All meter exceeds must go away immediately. Tying one product to another is not only yeah. immoral, but creates an environment of haves and haves nots. You know, there should be a certain percentage of publishers lying that allowed to be variants. I mean, he has some really specific, yeah. um, discussions here. You know, there was another, uh, activist retailer, Menachem Lukens of Escape Pod, and he had a pamphlet that was circulating. I haven't had a chance to read it. It's up on the Comics Journal site, but uh, I did see some prominent retailers poo-pooing it on Twitter, so yeah. I don't I don't know. Well, everyone has their own idea of how to save retail. Yes. And if your idea is different than his idea, then his idea is stupid. That's right. But look, there were some bright spots. Uh, manga sales are still uh, going up. Uh, middle grade graphic novels uh, are, are, are continue to do well. Diversity, and I think Bob Wayne touched on that too in his speech. <laughs> uh, God bless him. But look, they, these these retailers say we've got to invite everybody into our store. So, look, um, I agree with you, Heidi. There's still optimism, even if they're critical of well, as, I, you know, aspects as, of the business. We have this on our list for later on, but you know what? Sure. I'm going to throw it in here. I mean, how can you not be optimistic still, you know, when Black Panther won three Oscars yeah. and Captain Marvel is opening next week? Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I called this the Nerd Liberty Oscars because I think probably about three quarters of the presenters uh, are best known for their superhero roles. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, you know, they had so many people from Black Panthers, presenters, Chris Evans, you know, Jason Momoa, uh, Alice, uh, you know, Brie Larson was yeah. there. And, you know, I mean, for Black Panther to win three Oscars, um, yeah. you know, there are, I think, well, uh, Torsten had a list. Uh, the only other superhero movies that have won, not for visual effects, a couple. Well, Superman won, Spider-Man 2 won, uh, and then uh, Dark Knight Returns won two, and then, of course, Suicide Squad won. But now Black Panther has won more than any other superhero movie and so well-deserved. All right. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, yes, they won for costumes, which were amazing costumes, mm-hmm. totally worth it, sets, and score. Yeah. yeah. And all, all well-deserved. Yeah. All incredibly And, of well course, deserved. and two black women. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, received right. Oscars. Only, uh, they were, so. like, only three uh, black women have ever won Oscars yeah. who weren't actresses, and then two of them were for Black Panther. So, you know, well, yeah. I, yeah. as I like to say, if you want to be inclusive, include people. Yes, there you go. All right. Uh, but anyway, so that's why it's hard not to be optimistic. Now, right. me, but meanwhile... Uh, Meanwhile, not everything is worthy of optimism. Right, right. Well, there's, you know, IDW had an interesting week because uh, they had some really cool announcements at uh, Promise Mm -hmm. Girl. They announced that Usagi Ujimbo, Sakai, great series, all time great Mm -hmm. series is moving there. They're going to be doing color reprints of it, and that's fantastic. Uh, They also announced that Dash Shaw is going to be doing a Clue comic. And uh, is that perfect Mm -hmm. or not? I mean, you know, he has this really formalist approach. Uh, so that's great. But then some really strange things happened, too, Calvin. Okay. Well, most the strangest thing happened actually today, and that's where um, yet another high-place executive at uh, IDW has left. The the uh, the CEO, who hasn't been in place, I even think, a, a year. Um, uh, what's his name? Kevin McCluggage? Yeah, McC- McCluggage. McCluggage, excuse me, um, has stepped down. Yeah, Carrie McCluggage, yes. And Carrie, then yes, Howard me. Jonas will assume the position of CEO. Um, I feel like I know that name. Um, well, hasn't he been there for a while? He has, but I, I, I'm Googling while, while I speak, yeah. yeah. But it's just, uh, you know, this is the continuing parade of uh, departures and arrivals. Yeah, at, but that's not even IDW. the worst. Uh, the worst was 
Oh, the worst was their their TV show, a popular TV show, not being able to go into production uh, because somehow they haven't paid to set up the production. Yeah, it's sort of bizarre. Uh, when we're talking about uh, Winona Earp, um, certainly uh, the kind of one of the gems of the IDW's plans to turn its content into uh, TV shows and movies. Yeah, well, we're, um, you know. Uh, Basically, IDW was before the streaming era when anyone could sell anything. Like while we're sitting here, I've gotten two uh, emails announcing deals for like shows on Sci-Fi and, mm. and Netflix. Um, so uh, the, before that began, they had the bright idea that because they couldn't get any of their shows picked up, they would self-finance. All right, you know, a bold leap, but they did it. They got Winona mm. Earp on Sci-Fi, and it's got a, a very you know, passionate fan fan yes, base. Do you yeah. do you watch it, Kate, or do you follow White on Herb? No, I don't because uh life is short and there's a lot of television. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but but it does have a very passionate <laughs> Yes, fan base. I've heard of it. Yeah. I I know many fans of it. Sure. It, it mm-hmm. seems like a good idea. I just Right. That's okay. Whatever. It's quite all right. But anyway, uh so the the showrunner tweeted like uh you know, the three seasons of run and they're like, you know, well we hope we get to do the fourth season, but we really don't know right now and uh, and then she deleted it, and then all hell break, broke loose. But then they were Even like, the star sci- pro- yeah, was sci-fi. protesting it. Yeah, the star, but sci-fi came out and said, you know, we want two seasons. We've, we love yeah. it. We've committed to two seasons, but they don't have enough money to put the show into production. <laughs> it's like, and then they what? had to put out a statement. Yeah, well, you know, listen, TV money isn't that awesome. Yeah. You know, that is true, okay? But, um, I mean, come on, people. Get it? Together. Yeah, it's a little, little startling. Yeah, um, that's a, uh, we will we will monitor this, this situation fail. and report back to you. Um, so yeah, um, but we're going to keep moving on here um, yes. because we also want to talk. You now, Heidi's mentioned obviously the uh, the uh, uh, Oscars for the Black Panther, but um, let's talk a little bit about Marvel. We do want to briefly visit Captain Marvel because our own Heidi McDonald turns up in a uh, story in the New York Times about Marvel's female superheroes. Well, we're hoping that uh, it opens next week. Um, I'm desperately trying to get Disney to uh, allow me to go to a screening, but it's coming down to the wire. So I'd like your thoughts and prayers (laughs) out there, peeps. Uh, If you have any poll, give me some thoughts and prayers. But um, uh, we're hoping – we're all interested in seeing it. So we're hoping next time we gather, we will be able to talk about Captain Marvel because this is a big game. This is a big one, you know? I mean, Wonder Woman is – been known she's been on tv you know it was a leap of faith for dc to do this movie it was a huge success you know captain marvel has never been yeah she's and not a, even been in the movie and there's this a general a, confusion about captain marvel right. and all of the marvel named right. characters well, that are drifting around out well, there shazam is also open, yeah but um you know who was so, once captain marvel but um yeah it's you know i was excited to talk to the times and the, you know they also have great quotes from kelly thompson the current writer and but you know i get an undercurrent reader. for captain marvel that i felt for black panther I mean, they're, you know, their groups are organizing right. a, a viewings for, for young girls. I mean, there's, there's, there's something going on. So we're going to see. Well, let me tell you, I was at Toy Fair, uh, a couple, this weekend, last weekend, and Captain Marvel was everywhere. Yeah. Um, also because they couldn't have Endgame, Avengers Endgame. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I always stopped by the Ruby's costume booth and they had tons of Captain Marvel costumes. They're like, they are expecting it to be huge. Yeah. Uh, it'll be one of their biggest costumes, if not the biggest costume of the year for them, for little girls. And, and hats off Go to girls. the um, more recent costume designers who designed uh, 
costumes for Carol Danvers that had pants <laughs> as opposed to bikini bottoms right. because I don't think that would be selling as well to the under 10 crowd if it had to come with flesh colored pants. Well, we, we, we're, we're slowly moving into the, into the modern era. Very slowly, but yeah. Right. You know, women can pants wear pants too. Or at least a skirt that covers your butt. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So anyway, you know, but, but yes. we, we will definitely be talking about Captain Marvel next time. Absolutely. So. And, um. And on a much less happy note. Yes. Um, so I guess you wouldn't call this new exactly because the behavior has been going on for, by many reports, about 15 years. Uh, but, uh, Things have reached ahead in regards to something very uncomfortable in the anime industry. Vic Mignona, who is a very well-known voice actor, um, I'm not familiar with the shows he's on. I mean, I haven't, I don't actually know the guy, but I know that he uh, is... he played the lead on Full Metal Alchemist, all of its incarnations. Well, oh, really? I did not watch yeah. that. I okay. only read yeah. the manga. Yeah. But anyway, he was a, he's been a staple of anime shows, yes. and uh, you know, he was known for being a close toucher, a hugger. A, a mugger, a schmugger, but, uh, yeah, He's, I'll tell you what, this guy, uh, I'll say this, he kind of thought he was the hot shot in this world. You know, it was kind of a big fish in a small pond, yeah. and, you know, he has a big following, don't yeah, get me wrong, right. you know, he was a little bit, but, I mean, you wouldn't, you know, notice this guy walking down the street, but in this world, he was, yeah. hmm. kind of became this, like, sort of aspirational figure, I guess. And he took full advantage of that and took full advantage of a lot of people. And, uh, you know, definitely um, non-consensual um, encounters, yes. touching uh, uh, without consent, all this stuff. And to their credit, uh, a lot of the people who were working with him just dropped him immediately. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, well. it, was, it was swiftly dealt with. Uh, but it's not just the groping of fans, bad as that is. Um, what got him booted from, uh, Rooster Teeth, and now Funimation's not talking to him, is that he, uh, went further than that with some fellow voice actors. Yes. That some women who were voice actors, uh, who are not giving their names to the press, but who, who have been open with Funimation as Funimation is doing an investigation in him, uh, said that, you know, he'd invite them back to his room for professional reasons. And then he yeah. would, you know, attempt to do things to them. Yeah. I mean, it's just the classic of, you know, let's go talk about your career in my hotel room. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, we worked on this thing together, or we're going to be working the con tomorrow together. Let's talk about it. Oh, now the door's shut. Bad things are going to happen. Yeah. 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 Well, it... You know, went on for a while, and um, but it, you know, as soon as, and apparently there were whispers about him, as there always are mm. for years and years and years. But it finally has come to light, and um, you know, he is not being. It's actually hurting his career for yeah, once. It yeah. Has. yeah, and I mean, he's been. Oh, he's been disinvited from all the conventions. I mean, he is not uh, Took him long being enough. allowed to be a guest anymore. But uh, Kate, didn't you say that there was some kind of like this is kind of given a larger discussion about anime yeah. shows? And so what? What this discussion this sparked is that. A lot of people thought of and think of anime conventions as being more enlightened, more woman-friendly than comic book conventions mm. because there are a lot more women there mm. than at a typical comic book convention. 
But what this is bringing to light is just because you have more women there doesn't mean that you are better to those women. (laughs) And that, you know, you have a large female audience coming to these shows, but it's hardly a woman-only environment. And so you have to be a little more aware to provide safety to them. And to be fair, not just to women. There have been some scandals over the years. absolutely. It shouldn't just be... At anime conventions where there were some women who were inappropriate, who were trying to spank men with the Yahweh paddle. Oh, dear God, people, don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, you know, who were, were feeling up scantily clad fellow male... Yeah. attendees and you know whatever gender you are uh that's not cool no. don't do this stuff and you know i think people thought of it kind of like a free and easy culture but there's such a thing as too free and easy. well i yeah. think it's interesting because when i first started you know the first time i went to an anime show was probably otakon it was back in the the early 2000s when this is kind of taking off and i was really like shocked yeah. by uh, the costumes that I saw because I was, I was just thinking like, wow, you know, aren't there perverts? If I were a pervert, I would be here in like, you know, white on rice. I would not, you know, this is a pervert's playground. Uh, and then I, I understood that there was some self policing going on a little bit mm. among the community that I yeah. think it was more just, There is some. Yes, there is. And, uh, um, there just needs to be a little yeah, more. But I'm yeah. sure there should be way more. I mean, self policing, uh, is inadequate in a lot yeah. of, and a lot of, but it's situations. helpful. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and it's also to the credit of the of the community mm-hmm. that there has been, in, you know, and there've been calls for more security and calls for um, the, the organizers to make sure that there, you know, the right. silence is not consent, yeah. that there are signs posted. That, yeah, yeah, and it should, but it should not. I guess what we're yeah. learning from this is it should not. We should not just be watching the attendees to not hurt each yeah. other. We should be watching the official guests to make sure they're not hurting yeah. the attendees. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, well, there are some whispers of some other con guests who also might be. I don't uh, doubt it. Yeah. Not uh, surprised. This is a, uh, you know. I don't yeah. doubt it. So, anyway. And we've got another treat for you. We've got another installment of Stargazing, our look at starred reviews. And uh, I'll be talking with Meg Lemke, PW uh- Gra- Graphic Novels Reviews Editor. Okay, hello, uh, more to come listeners. We're back for another episode of Stargazing, and that's me, Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor, Publishers Weekly, and Meg Linke, the PW Graphic Novels Review Editor. Hey, Meg, how you doing? I'm doing well. Hello, everyone. Yeah. All right, so what are we talking about this week? And this week, we're only going to talk about two books because Calvin and I are both so head over heels (laughs) about these titles, we knew that otherwise we would run over time. We're smitten. (laughs) Um, with these books as well as with each other to some extent I'd say (laughs) Kevin's one of my favorite people I've ever worked with and vice versa with you (laughs) (laughs) we're we're getting to a point where we're working with each other almost all the time and I couldn't couldn't, uh, like it more All right, but Leah, let's talk about these two books books. we're smitten so (laughs) the first is by Mira Jacob Yes, and it's a good, good talk a memoir and conversations. And Jacob is a novelist prior to this graphic memoir. Um, her prior book is called the sleepwalkers guide to dancing, which is a novel. Mm-hmm. And this book, many of you may have seen it coming based on a viral Buzzfeed piece. She did speaking to her son who is biracial about his infatuation and obsession with Michael Jackson, which if anybody here has kids, and I think most of you, Regular listeners know I do since mine has shown up at least once on the tape. 
um, you know that children will ask you questions that, that if you pause and consider the way to answer them honestly can make you rethink your whole worldview. Yes. And yes. Yeah, go, no, sorry. Go on. Well, that's what happens to Jacob. And that's really how the book opens is in these hilarious, uncomfortable conversations with her son asking her about race, you know, from, uh, Michael Jackson turned white. Am I going to turn white? Uh, Which, which white people are afraid of brown people? Is daddy one of them? Is daddy afraid of us? Yes, her mixed Uh, race son asking this question. Mira is um, Indian American Mm -hmm. and from from India and her son is biracial and her husband is a Jewish white man. Yes. And well, if I may, I mean, uh, this book really, um, had an impact on me. Um, uh, just as you describe it, uh, it opens with these incredibly, I mean, really hilarious, um, uh, uh, uh questions from her, from her six-year-old son about race and politics and, um, uh, and they're awkward questions for a parent to have, mm-hmm. uh, have to answer. But they're incredibly illuminating questions uh, about their lives and about really larger social issues. And in fact, larger um, issues of um, racism, race and, and identity uh, that we see played out in the headlines and, and in, you know, uh, various instances all the time. Um, but what's also fascinating about this book is that it's also a classic uh, work uh, of uh, about uh, recent immigrants. Her parents right. are immigrants parents from immigrants. India, mm-hmm. and as well, and and of course the Americanization mm-hmm. of their children, Amira and her brother, who were born here. I think her brother may have been born in India, but he grew up here. Uh, so it has that classic uh, immigrants tale story, but it's also evolves, and I and I sort of don't want to give it away because mm-hmm. really how you move through this book. Uh, is part of how its power and how you encounter the changes in so life. So intuitive and, and, um, yes. tangential and that's very much like a conversation. But it's, it really hits, uh, a, a point of despair and, uh, and disturbing political ram, ramifications at a certain point in the book. Uh, and when we, it, and the phrase of you can't always choose your family comes mm-hmm. to mind. So mm-hmm. this is a book for our time that uh, uh, it, it goes right to the heart of the really disturbing political moment that we're in right now. I think that's without, again, giving too much away, I believe it was created sort of over the period of the 2016 election. Yes. So you see <laughs> in some ways in the tenor of the conversations with her son really changing and some of the depth of the fear behind um, how she might answer those and what the ramifications are for her child of color in the world um, deepen throughout the, throughout the course of the work. And some of the, I mean, there's, it's really hard to pick the most affecting moments because it's such a powerful work. And I will say, like, I had been familiar with it already, but I sat down to read the book and read the entire thing. I mean, I stayed up, even though my tiny baby had gone to sleep and it was the only time I would have to sleep, I stayed up uh, late and read the, the whole thing in one sitting. And I know that Calvin did too, because you were texting me during it. You guys, I, I was like, texting. He stole my copy from the office. I did indeed. And then, but you know what I did? I immediately uh, called the publisher to get, uh, get an extra copy. <laughs> uh, we, we had Mira, you had Mira on, uh, on the podcast. Yes. Yeah, so and that's the other thing we, we do, uh, there's a half an hour interview 
uh, um, between me and Mira Jacob on more to come. Yes. On a, I think last week's program that you can also tune mm-hmm. in. And if I may also just drop in uh, her drawing, I think will be a, a, an, an interesting issue around the book. I'm, I'm curious to see is how, it's responded to by the the uh, traditional comics industry and maybe people who aren't as vest as invested in in comics as as we are uh because i i actually think she's come up with a an interesting and innovative way uh uh to use the the uh, the language of comics it's a little different um she has some drawing facility though she doesn't present her images or her panels because uh, they really aren't any Mm-mm. in the traditional sense in in a way that uh, we we are normally encounter comics. I mean, it's a graphic memoir, but I wouldn't say it's a comics memoir necessarily. Well, see, and it I falls into that community. Oh yeah, we should, we could we can debate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's the way she draws is she creates figures that are repeated, so they're mm-hmm. not um, often varying page to page. They're the same pose, staring directly at the reader. Yeah, cut this, out like paper this isn't unusual in comics. She she takes it to another uh, realm, but all of the elements of comics are there. It's sequential. It's image, it's visual storytelling. There are word balloons and thought balloons. Sequential art. That's yeah. true. And I guess I shouldn't get into yeah. that. But that's fine. No, these are these but, are. Int- this is why because I think this work is formally inventive as well mm-hmm. as it is just emotionally um, powerful. <laughs> One of the other aspects, and I talk about this in the review, the reviewer speaks to this, is that she uses photographs in the background. And I had the reviewer made a really interesting point that the photographs, um, so Jacob Hayes, I'm going to quote from the review, Jacob Hayes simple character drawings cut like paper dolls staring directly at the reader over grainy photos of New York City, her childhood home in New Mexico, and other locales emphasizing the contingency of identity. And I think there's something really to that, the authenticity of the photographs Mm -hmm. behind the drawn figures really gives a sense of how these figures are placed in different places Mm -hmm. across the U.S. Um, She also does use some, um, like, snapshots of her family in India and in the U.S. So she has some images of her parents. Some of the pieces with her parents are really touching and funny and candid. And that's sort of, I think, candid is one of the ways I would express this book overall so that it has this honesty to it that um, is really easy to read actually even though it gets into such incredibly gut-wrenching moments um, and the other piece I was going to say earlier one of the most affecting moments is in New Mexico and her childhood and I think it's really interesting to think about New Mexico since there's a lot of New York in the book mm-hmm. but um, if you think about where people come from she comes from this very different place in New Mexico and has some really touching bits about growing up um, as a in an immigrant family in a dominantly white area in New Mexico. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it really is a, a remarkable book. So, uh, But now, moving on. What's our next topic? Moving on. Our second book is also one that looks profoundly at issues of race. It's A Hot Comb by Ebony Flowers. Oh, right before we move on, I should say that uh, Mira's book is published by One World. Oh, yes, yes. It's also not a traditional comics publisher. Um, it may be one of their first, if not... They have other maybe but it may be one of their first first graphic work ever. (laughs) Yeah, I'm interested to check that, but that's Chris Jackson's imprint. Mm. So Hot Comb by Ebony Flowers, which is drawn in quarterly. Um, and Mira's book comes out in March and Hot Comb comes out in May. So you have a few titles to either purchase immediately or to put on your list. So Hot Comb um, is a debut. Ebony was a student of um 
Linda Berry, which you can see in the work and the style is influenced by Berry, but Ebony really takes it to a completely different place. I feel like so even though the, the heritage is really obvious in the, the drawing style, she really takes a new direction. Um, some of the responses to this is it's like a kind of next generation taking this work on. Um, so Flowers is a black woman and the book is very much about black women's relationships to each other and through the conversations around hair, which is a huge topic, um, which I don't want to propose, you know, presume to speak to other than to say this book is a fantastic way to dive into some of the, the issues around, um, hair care and responses to black women's hair in our society. Yeah, w- without a doubt, and, and and all of this is wrapped in it's just a very um, illuminating mm-hmm. and engaging uh, use of identity. Um, I mean, in the very best sense of, of what that word, you know, that that much debated word means in this day and time. Right. But but in, in terms of my own uh, um, um, uh, attachment to this cultural material, and yes. this is the world of women that I grew up in, mm-hmm. um, the world of hair, the world of hot combs, just, he- just hearing that word, uh, I can, there's a smell that's associated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a house of women, you know, I, I you know, uh, you know, my parents were divorced. My, I, I moved back into my grandmother's house with my mother and my aunts lived there. So the rituals that she talk about, as well as the ritual for men, which are similar, but a little different. The, mm. the, these all come out in this book. I mean, very literally, they're displayed using the hot comb, parting the hair and greasing the scalp. And then, of course, getting a perm, which was both, you know, a rite of passage and a, and a, and a mark of courage, man, because that stuff burns. <laughs> I know, which is really uh, shown in the work. And that's one of the uh, one of the titular piece there uh, about Flowers receiving her first perm and the and the way that it affects her mother to see her daughter change her hair that substantially um, in response to trends in her schoolyard is really affecting. And of course, it really, uh, uh, in response to really the, uh, the cruelty, uh, right. over here. I mean, this is the, the world of kids, uh, be, be they black or white. Um, kids can be incredibly, uh, um, uh, difficult. Uh, I certainly remember my childhood years, a little bit of that. But 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 what you do have here, this isn't just a you know a sad story. It it it, it goes to the heart of some of the comple- the, the cultural complexities that Black women mm-hmm. face. But it also captures the the community of Black women as mm-hmm. they work on the air. And some of the stories, I think, in particular, early ones that you mentioned, um, uh, 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 about the the young girl getting her first perm, but also. Um, uh, the softball game, the, the softball player, the story about her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really on... about trauma, which is a really yes. interesting piece about mm-hmm. trauma. And even later, the three uh, black women, um, I think they're in uh, an African country, Uganda or Kenya. It's, it's, it looks like it's a piece about an exchange program. So an yeah. American, um, a black American woman going to an African country. Yes. Yes. And I don't know that it's named because I think I looked I, I may be incorrect, but I remember looking at it for the review to try and find uh, that it's named. But I think someone who's familiar with the country would be able to identify it based on um, some of the rituals or discussed or some of the places they go. But that's a really joyful piece. Um, so some of the earlier ones are really um, bittersweet, but there's something about that piece where the character has grown up and is now kind of 
like looking globally at the way black hair is treated. Um, that's really kind of uplifting. It, it really is. And it's just, it's fascinating. Uh, uh, it, the sense of community, uh, the storytelling, the manner, uh, the, the interpersonal manner between uh, black female friends. There's uh, some funny moments there too, even though it's absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's a but book. Go on, about I'm sorry. Excuse me. Oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> No, please. I, in fact, like hearing you speak about your personal relationship, I think is much more interesting um, to the work. But there's some very there's some great moments of dialogue that ha- that are very funny and light in the way that people tell secrets uh, yes, around absolutely. hair care. And it just brings back my own memories of my childhood, my mother watching her work on her hair. Um, and, and uh, you know, and then of course for men, it was a uh, there, there was a similar thing. I mean, as a kid, you know, I used to get uh, my hair. We we would you'd use Royal Crown pomade. Mm-hmm. You would brush it down really hard and then you take a, you get your mother's stocking in those days and you cut it and you tie a knot and you wear a stocking cap while you're sleeping and when you woke up in the morning you had like these marcel waves in your ear so there you go there's mm. a little male hair care for you but the women was it was a different it was it, it was similar but different and much more of a community around it. And you mentioned products, and one of the kind of lovely ways that Flowers plays with the form here is that each section is divided by a full-page reproduction of an ad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Those are very For um, black hair care products. And some of those are kind of funny in the ways that she um, draws them, and also some of them, I think, just by basic recognition, there's a nostalgia. Yeah. Kids and coils and uh, the Kenya care, you know. Mm-hmm. So. But anyway, well, uh, uh, um, our time is winding down here, but look, two really wonderful books, uh, that in their own ways kind of look at, at, at many of the issues, I think, in a, in a, as only art can of identity and race, uh, and our social climate now. Um, they, they do it in a way very unique to art. Both of them are incredibly great reads as yes. well. Like they have something important to say and they're super enjoyable to sit down and read. And Hotcomb is published by who? John and Quarterly. Yeah, all right. All right. All right. This is this is great. Hey, thanks, Meg. Thanks, Calvin. Calvin, we called it. We <laughs> yeah. knew you were gonna love this book. Well, yes. It's begun, as I think that yes, you texted it's me. Begun. Yeah, it, it has was, begun. We have a group chat for the podcast. <laughs> and so, like, I'm mind my own business. I'm getting ready for work. <laughs> and this little thing goes yes, ding <laughs> on my cell phone, and I pick it up. So. And there's just one line from Heidi. It goes, it has begun. That's right. And I was like, Heidi, Heidi, what has begun? And he- Heidi's like, scroll up. Yeah, and, right. scroll up. and it's Calvin talking about how he did this interview. Yes. Well, we're talking about Mira Jacob yeah. uh, and, and Good, good Talk. talk. So, and, so and, you... Yeah. More to come. So, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So, uh, so until we have like our weekly mentions of good talk, uh, there will be more to come.